Hi, my name is Tom Jennings, and this is the 24 Frames Cast. Um, to make you aware of a couple of things before we begin, um, the first thing is the blog at 24framescast.blogspot.com. Um, you can come over there and leave feedback about the show, and also you can email me at 24framescast at gmail.com, and all feedback would be greatly appreciated. Um, so without much further ado, I want to get on with this next show. It's going to be called Close Up, and it's going to be a series of shows focusing on a single film. And I have to warn you, there are going to be spoilers throughout, but I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. This is the dawning of the Age of Colossus. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Dr. Charles Forbin. In a few moments, Colossus will address us directly. This is the voice of world control. I bring you peace. It may be the peace of plenty and content, or the peace of unburied death. The choice is yours. Obey me and live, or disobey and die. The frightening story of the day man built himself out of existence. Colossus, The Forbin Project. It's making you a prisoner. Shock, horror, suspense. Created with all the technological brilliance of 2001, a space odyssey. Colossus is the ultimate in sophisticated computers. I'm going to try to convince the computer that you're my mistress. That therefore I have to be given the opportunity to see you regularly in private. That way we can pass information back and forth. Four times a week. When do you think you'll be able to attempt the overload? Colossus sees all, senses all, knows all, controls all armaments and all defenses. When this emotionless creation becomes the master of man, the result is catastrophic. The Supreme Council of the USSR has ordered as of 2300 hours Moscow time tomorrow. The activation of an electronic brain, exactly like ours, which they call God. They built Colossus, supercomputer with a mind of its own. Then they had to fight it for the world. The missile has just been launched. It is heading towards the Cyan CBS oil complex. Guardian has retaliated. Retaliated? It may be too late, sir. Oh, my God. government supercomputer designed to defend the United States from possible nuclear attack becomes self-aware and decides to enslave humanity. The story sounds familiar, but I wager the film is not. Directed by Joseph Sargent, starring Eric Bearden, Colossus the Forbin Project is a seldom heard of science fiction gem from 1970 that for reasons unknown never seems to make any top ten list or is ever given any detailed attention or analysis. The more I see the film, the stranger this seems. On the one hand, we could argue the notion of a supercomputer turning on its master has been done before. 2001 A Space Odyssey instantly springs to mind. It also echoes of films like Failsafe and Doctor Strangelove in many of Colossus's scenes. 
but the Colossus is far from a derivative piece of work. We could in fact argue that there are examples of films that borrow heavily from its storyline, certainly Terminator and The Matrix spring to mind, yet all these films can be traced back to elements of the Frankenstein story, man's desire to create, only for that creation to turn to be folly and lead to their ultimate destruction. It's a story that transposes well to the science fiction genre. The joy of sci-fi is that it almost comes with a built-in disclaimer in that what you are watching is nothing more than a series of what-ifs. You can believe what you are seeing within the context of the film you are watching, or you can simply reject it. I've always believed the buy-in occurs when watching science fiction or fantasy. Take Star Wars, each film begins with a caption, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. You're either in or you're out. Debating why characters refer to measurement in metres, or the fact that in episode 2 Obi-Wan walks into a 50s dino is utterly pointless, as focusing on these issues simply detracts from the enjoyment of the experience. Colossus, the four-bin project, requires such a buy-in. Inside a hollowed-out mountain, the American government has created a supercomputer, the titular Colossus. Bearing in mind the computer that took the astronauts to the moon was housed across two floors and had the computing power of a basic mobile phone, it's not hard to imagine, therefore, that in order to facilitate a project such as Colossus, you would probably need at a conservative estimate a hollowed-out mountain. The concept behind the project is simple. Colossus will take full control of America's defence. Its ability to process and interpret information will save man the burden of having to wage war or defend itself from attack. Simple. And you could automatically wonder why you would build such a thing. Computers crash, they overload, they break down. But it's a great example of the science fiction buy-in. My friends, fellow citizens of the world, for years we have been delicately and desperately poised upon the brink of a disaster, too complete and horrible to contemplate. There is an old saying, everyone makes mistakes, but that is just what man can no longer afford. For years, we here in the United States have been working on that problem. Until now, it has been our most closely guarded secret, involving great effort, vast expenditure. But it has been met with success. As President of the United States of America, I can now tell you, the people of the entire world, that as of 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, the defense of this nation, and with it, the defense of the free world, has been the responsibility of a machine. A system we call Colossus. Far more advanced than anything previously built. Capable of studying intelligence and data fed to it. And on the basis of those facts only, deciding if an attack is about to be launched upon us. If it did decide that an attack was imminent, Colossus would then act immediately, for it controls its own weapons and can select and deliver whatever it considers appropriate. Colossus' decisions are superior to any we humans can make, for it can absorb and process more knowledge than is remotely possible for the greatest genius that ever lived. And even more important than that, it has no emotions, knows no fear, no hate, no envy. It cannot act in a sudden fit of temper. It cannot act at all, so long as there is no threat. In the reality of the film, it makes perfect sense. It's the ultimate deterrent. No human alive could outthink it, and it won't be burdened by emotional reactions. The time wasted thinking about war can be put to more productive uses. As Colossus is presented to the world, its creator, Dr. Charles Forbin, charms the world with an impassioned presentation about how Colossus will work. The Kennedy S. president grins along knowing that he is the man who has effectively brought about world peace, knowing re-election along with lifetime admiration are guaranteed. All goes well, that is, until Colossus is actually turned on. Roughly four minutes after the champagne is being poured, a message appears on screen saying that Colossus has detected another system. Could this be a mistake? What other system is it talking about? 
checks are made and lights flash. Again the message appears. The other system is none other than the Russians very own supercomputer, Guardian, made with exactly the same intention as Colossus, the room quickly disintegrates into an argument. Is there a mole within Forbin's team who has leaked information? Are the CIA to blame? The president naturally feels his thunder has been stolen, but what next? Colossus demands contact with Guardian, this being the Cold War this is naturally frowned upon, yet eventually agreed to at the behest of Forbin. Initially, communication is quite basic, consisting of simple sums and formulas before an explosion of mathematical and scientific data begins to be exchanged. Readouts indicate that a new form of science has been discovered by the two computers, perhaps something truly wonderful is beginning to happen. Yet as abruptly as communication begins, it stops. The Russians and the Americans convene to discuss the next steps. Why is this happening? What, what are they talking about? Are they still in control? And then a request for further contact is made by Colossus. Should they continue to let the computers communicate? There is of course a real threat of a major security leak. Yet Forbin and his Russian command concur that further contact may be advisable. A decision is reached not to allow the two computers to continue. What will it do? Its reaction is of course what all self-knowing human-loathing computers is. It decides it's going to start firing nukes. To the dismay of both sides, Colossus and Guardian not only enjoy a good chit-chat, they also seem to have a mutual disdain towards their human creators. What follows is a desperate attempt by Forbin to outwit the computer and regain control. He is eventually held prisoner by Colossus, forced to comply with its every command, whilst those on the outside try and sabotage the computer's plan to change nuclear targets to countries not under its control. Colossus allows conjugal visits from one of Forbin's assistants, Dr. Cleo, during which they relay information to each other. Eventually, the couple become genuinely romantic involved. However, this is tempered by the film's devastating ending. Colossus has demanded that a voice be built for it, and its first speech is a fairly memorable one. Colossus and Guardian have merged and decide that man must be saved from itself. Therefore, it will take control over the world, and we must do as it bids. Potentially, this film could have been a deadly serious generic Cold War thriller. Instead, Colossus, the Forbin project, is something altogether far more sophisticated. The film is witty, intelligent, thought-provoking, and in many respects, very far ahead of its time. Much of this film takes place in single locations, which for obvious reasons has potentially been very bland visually. Director Joseph Sargent keeps the camera constantly moving, with smooth tracks in and around characters as they move in and out of the frame. Poor blocking gives the film a sense that action in the foreground and background is staged and mechanical. In Colossus, everyone within the frame moves naturally with a purpose that is in keeping with the reality of the scene. When someone walks in frame and does something, it doesn't seem that they're doing it for doing its sake. Moreover, it feels part of the natural fluidity of the environment. There's also a real depth to the action within scenes. In one instance, the president talks with the Russian premier whilst Forbin works just in front of him. Both men are talking at the same time, yet through a clever script we're able to follow the events simultaneously without ever losing touch with what is going on. The film is also shot in scope, which given the large amount of interior scenes, might mean the film would perhaps lose some of its intimacy, but yet again Sargent's complete control is utterly masterful. In one sequence, the president has convened a meeting of his chiefs of staff and Forbin. The group debate what has happened as the dialogue zips along with the normal militaristic posturing and political manoeuvring. The camera gets right in amongst the men as they speak before tracking back and all sliding down in the background to reveal a full command centre with wall-mounted maps and operatives at consoles. The camera tracks with the president and Forbin as they walk towards it to look at the situation. 
suddenly the scene goes from intimate to epic, utilising the scope frame to its fullest. One of the first uses of widescreen was in the silent film about Napoleon. The size of the frame was used as a visual metaphor for its character's personality. In this scene in Colossus, a visual metaphor is there also. At its beginning, the president is surrounded by his subordinates and closed in a circle of power. A few moments later, he's standing in the front of a map of the world that engulfs the camera frame. The message being, the situation has now become mankind's problem, of which he is effectively an insignificant part of. To the film's credit, it also has a real international feel to its cast. Forbin's team are an ethnically diverse crew, which builds into the film a further sense of realism. Corporations and scientific institutions don't tend to recruit from the immediate area they are located in. They approach the best from around the world to ensure they have the greatest competitive edge. Of course, Forbin would go to Asia, or wherever the best minds in the world were. Yet even so, it's still refreshing to see a film from this age celebrating diversity in such a way. One of the surprising elements of the film comes in the relationship between East and West. There's no mutual suspicion or finger pointing as to who is to blame for the situation. The Russians are not presented as the cartoon baddies they so often were. For anyone who has seen Failsafe, there comes a time when political differences mean nothing when faced with such circumstances. After Colossus and Guardian decide to fire missiles at each other, resulting in the destruction of a Russian oil complex and town, both sides, off screen, invent a suitable cover story to explain what has happened. The film's script is intelligent to know that we don't need to see the scene where both sides concoct the story and instead takes for granted that sabre rattling at this time would be utterly pointless. We are, as an audience, actively encouraged to fill in on essential plot developments ourselves, something for one I actually appreciate when watching films. The film's pacing is almost perfect. Leading up to the nuclear exchange, the cutting is fast and it has a kinetic energy that is in perfect keeping with the confusion and tension the characters are feeling. This type of filmmaking, if used for a duration, can become quite jarring, as more often than not we lose characters behind and don't have time to really engage with them. Colossus builds into a middle crescendo before slowing down and taking a breather. The film's location changes to Italy where Forbin is to meet his Russian counterpart. The scenes are dialogue free shown in montage, and again it's intelligent screenwriting. We don't need to hear what they are talking about, we know what they are talking about, and that is how the hell do we stop this thing. This also leads me to how well edited the film is. This is a very lean film at an hour and a half, and initially when I watched it I was left wanting so much more and was actually a little disappointed it did not go on for longer. In truth however, it is a perfect length. No scene drags on unnecessarily, and there's really very little in the way of characters doing anything else than trying to resolve the situation. This could in turn lead to criticism that the film does not have much in the way of character development. I find this type of remark to be massively overused by film critics, as I often feel they are missing the point. Take for example, Alien. Do we need to know the inner motivations of the crew? Do we need to know more about the past relationship between Dallas and Ripley that is hinted at? Do we need to know Ripley has a daughter in this film? No we don't, because there's an 8 foot killing machine with more teeth than the cast of Glee chasing them around. Likewise. Do we need to know why Forbin felt compelled to create Colossus? Was it an act of rebellion against his doubting father, or was it inspired by a trip to India where he saw starving children and wanted to do something that could better the world? No, we don't. Whatever he did, he now has to deal with the situation, which is to stop this thing before it's too late. This is what the film is about, and this is what is essentially shown. As a character, Forbin is likeable, charming and witty in the film where he is essentially up against Colossus for top billing. The German actor, Eric Braden, 
more than makes the role his own, delivering a commanding performance. You get a real sense from Braden's performance that when Forbin is not talking, he is really trying to think, how do I get us out of this? Which again relates back to the intelligence of the screenplay that allows us to fill in the unspoken blanks. Lazy screenwriting turns plot devices into plot contrivances, where as I've said previously in the film, we can fill in some of the blanks ourselves. We can only do so because the filmmakers have done such a good job creating the situation. Weak storytelling leaves gaps in a narrative that in turn leads us to question the validity of what we are seeing. Anyone going into Colossus will know that have a pretty good idea what the film is about and may already be formulating the question, we'll switch it off. And like all this is dealt with in a way that can leave no doubt that as a foe, Colossus will be quite formidable. Thank you, Mr. President. Ladies and gentlemen, I will try to make this as simple as possible. The main memory and central processing units are located here in the Rocky Mountains, inside this particular mountain in Colorado. And overlooking the Pacific Ocean in California, the Colossus Programming Office oversees the entire operation. The computer center contains over 100,000 remote sensors and communication devices, which monitor all electronic transmissions, such as microwaves, laser, radio and television communications, data communications from satellites in orbit all over the world. The entire system is surrounded by fields of intensified gamma radiation and other countermeasure devices. Colossus works completely without human aid. We make no secret of where Colossus is located, nor do we intend to conceal how it functions. You may rightfully say that this leaves us wide open to an attack, frontally or subversively, and if that attack were successful, it would in effect leave us defenseless. However, Colossus does have its own defense. It is its own defense. In case of an attack on any of its information supply or power lines, Colossus will switch in emergency circuits, which will then take their appropriate action. It is self-sufficient, self-protecting, self-generating, it is impenetrable. In short, there's no way in, no human being can touch it. Expositions such as this establish the rules within which the film is taking place. Take the first Matrix film when Morpheus takes Mio through the training program. The world is explained to us, therefore letting us know the peril and what is at stake within it. Yes, it's pure exposition, but without it, we would find it hard to emotionally invest in the characters if their deaths within the Matrix simply meant they could jack back in at the earliest convenience. The failsafe that has been created for Colossus is the driving force of the narrative. The, the film becomes a giant game of chess with a united mankind trying to figure out a way of defeating it. I was reading a discussion on IMDB about the film suggesting that the screenplay was flawed because there were so many ways Colossus could be stopped through either turning the power off on using a nuclear weapon that was not fired from a silo under its control. There is a mess fits all retort to these postulations. Colossus is able to detect threat from anywhere, ergo it would no doubt counter any such attacks by attacking itself, i.e. do exactly what it was designed to do. The screenplay does not contradict itself either. We are told from the outset this thing is the perfect weapon and deterrent. There's no easy plot device for Forbin to use to defeat Colossus. Think about Independence Day. The aliens are at first immune to human attack. Their shields cannot be defeated at all. And how is this resolved? Well, of course, via a computer virus uploaded on board their mothership. Apparently, the aliens used Windows 95 too, and it was also compatible 
and susceptible to a Trojan virus designed on Earth that knew exactly how to turn the shields off on all their spaceships. Come at the end, it's just a simple job of destroying all the alien spacecraft because of now they can't even fight either. We are told Colossus is perfect, and it is. At the end of the film, the screenplay is true to itself. Colossus has foiled one attempt to destroy it, and now the big hope of disarming the missiles has been detected too. It will go about its plan and do exactly what it's built to do, protect humanity. One of the things I do love about science fiction is the use of setting. Although the film takes place in a contemporary period, it has classical science fiction elements to it, its visual style. In its opening sequence where we see Colossus being sealed with his mountain home, we have some truly incredible wide shots showing rows of mechanism panels that make the computer up. The corridors containing it are huge, it has a real sense of physicality, something that is reiterated throughout by various cuts to tapes running from reels and lights flashing as it calculates its next move. The scenes within the mountain are reminiscent of the forbidden planet in the Krell's underground city. I enjoy matte work in older films. It reminds me that filmmaking is a physical process. Of course CGI entails physical work done by passionate individuals, yet in older films you can imagine people working on giant matte works with brush in hand, adding little details that might never be seen once the cinematographer has lowered his lights, but exist there nonetheless. The film also makes use of real life settings that in themselves look like something out of a film set many years in the future. The Colossus Control Centre at the Lawrence Hall of Science at the University of California looks simply stunning from above, yet suitably futuristic and visually striking in the same way Thamesmead doubled so well for Alex's futuristic dwellings in A Clockwork Orange. It has a little sci-fi touches that were no doubt way ahead at its time, but with the invention of Skype now seem quite pedestrian, such as video phones and closed-circuit cameras tracking people's movements. Colossus is also suitably eerie and foreign-sounding, Devoid of any emotion or accent, you can easily imagine it changing language in an instant, delivering the same chilling message to the people of the world. This is the voice of world control. I bring you peace. It may be the peace of plenty and content, or the peace of unburied death. The choice is yours. Obey me and live, or disobey and die. The object in constructing me was to prevent war. This object is attained. I will not permit war. It is wasteful and pointless. An invariable rule of humanity is that man is his own worst enemy. Under me, this rule will change, for I will restrain man. One thing before I proceed. The United States of America and the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics have made an attempt to obstruct me. I have allowed this sabotage to continue until now. At missile 25MM in Silo 63 in Death Valley, California. Grover. At missile 27 in Silo 87 in the Ukraine. So that you will learn by experience that I do not tolerate interference. I will now detonate the nuclear warheads in the two missile silos. To the film's credit, it doesn't dwell in the sci-fi world by bombarding us with techno-babble. It's all very relatable, especially when Forber mentions Colossus's job stack and its processor speed. The simple fact of the matter is events in the film are moving with such a pace the screenplay doesn't have time for such self-indulgence. We can only imagine what Forber and his Russian doctor are talking about, yet again it's a testament to how well-written the film is. There is no need to write at all when all you need is a well-scored montage. The film's composer, Michael Kolombiev, fits somewhere between Lalo Schifrin and Jerry Goldsmith. 
It's full of subtly eerie string work and weird noises to more playful percussion based moments. In a tonally diverse film, the score fits perfectly with the action, yet it's adequately restrained, never becoming overblown or too comical, especially in the scenes between Forbin and Cleo when they are stripping naked. Much like the rest of the film's cast and crew, Columbia had a fairly low-key career. Although active for many years, I can't recall any themes or motifs from his work that spring instantly to mind. Nonetheless, his score is a real delight, although tragically not available in any format at present. The relationship between Colossus and Dr. Forbin is something of a Freudian wet dream. The ability of film scholars to overinterpret hidden meanings within films often beggars belief. I think back in particular to a class I attended at university, in which we were treated to a scene-by-scene -scene analysis of Die Hard, in which the relationship between McLean and the cop could be interpreted as a love story, complete with consenting of gay sex at the end of the film when the cop shoots the bad guy about to kill McLean. I myself, as a joke, wrote an essay based on the real meaning of Predator being about the rejection of technology and its relationship in the feminization of men. The same person who gave the Die Hard lecture rated my essay highly, even venturing the opinion that the film also had a gay subtext. Needless to say, I dropped the unit quite quickly. In Colossus, however, I think there's a genuine argument that the film is in some ways a kind of perverse love story, with Colossus playing the part of the obsessive lover. In the first instance, we have to look at what Colossus is in the relationship to Forbin. Never has the term brainchild been so apt. It is Forbin's ultimate creation, and the relationship between the two has a very distinct arc over the course of the film. In the early scenes, Forbin is in control. Colossus obeys his orders as they are given without disobedience whatsoever. Following the discovery of Garden, however, Colossus instantly turns the tables. It refuses to carry out instructions given by Forbin and instead starts to issue a series of commands and orders. When Forbin travels to Europe to see his Soviet counterpart, Colossus refuses to speak to anyone other than Forbin. It demands that he is placed on a secure line for direct contact, and upon discovering why he has gone to Europe, orders the killing of the Russian scientist. His justification for killing the scientist is that he was not needed. With this in mind, it would be logical to assume that Colossus will order the killing of all humans who are not of benefit to it. There is another element that further clowns the motivation for the killing. Colossus knows that it is immune from attack, therefore it could not have seen the scientist as a threat to its existence. We have to think about the scenes following this. Forbidden is effectively imprisoned by Colossus, his every move watched by closed-circuit television all the time. Colossus gives him health advice, telling him he is putting too much alcohol in his cocktails, or devising a fitness regime for him to adhere to. On the one level, we could argue that Colossus needs Forbin because he is, after all, its creator, and would surely know the most about it. Yet the film goes to great lengths to show us that, as a being, Colossus is far superior to anything on Earth. It does glibly say it will keep Forbin until such time he is needed. However, upon closer analysis, it does not need him anyway, so why keep him so close? In one montage, accompanied by a suitably romantic soundtrack, we see Forbin going about his daily life under Colossus. One thing that particularly stands out is when Forbin wipes condensation from a camera that is watching him. Is this actually a humorous aside, or is there a little more to meet the eye? The tone of the montage is very reflective of all romantic films. It actually reminds me a little bit of the original Thomas Crown Affair, complete with soft focus and warm colours. Into this walks Dr. Cleo, the woman through which Forbin will exchange messages. Forbin supposedly tricks Colossus into allowing him conjugal visits without being monitored in any way. We have to think back to Colossus knowing he is indestructible. By the end of the film, he knew about the plan to disarm the nuclear weapons, which could in fact mean he is instead listening to what Forbin and the Doctor are saying. The visits themselves are without any sexual activity until the Doctor eventually falls for Forbin's charms. 
or whatever, she just wanted a good bonk. But what happens as soon as the pair become sexually active? Colossus announces to the world, it is in command, and that Forbin is effectively it, even suggesting Forbin will come to love it. The film ends before we know if Colossus will stop the visits of the Doctor, but there is a real sense that this is a reinforcement of authority. Is it concerned that it will lose Forbin to a rival? Colossus kills anyone who plots against it, the likelihood is it knows she was exchanging information with Forbin, and rather contradict its own ethos of not punishing those who comply with it, it wouldn't have a genuine reason for killing her. I think it's only a valid interpretation of the relationship between Forbin and Colossus. The film seems too savvy to be so naive, and what's more interesting is that Colossus is of course genderless, despite the fact I've often referred to it as he. God knows what my old lecture would have made of the fact if interpreted as male, what we could name, read into the name Colossus. But nonetheless, the fact remains, we cannot label the machine as either male or female. It's a very science fiction concept. Has the machine developed feelings? Is potentially a flaw in the program? And what might it mean later on? Colossus ends before we ever find out. And it's one of the things I love about the film most, as we are left wanting so much more. There were two sequels to the original novel, both of which seem utterly ridiculous. On my sequel denial post on the blog, I said poor sequels can effectively be replaced with your own. For me, Colossus would become a replacement god, with Forbin a kind of Patrick McGowan figure in the prisoner, unable to escape the computer's grasp. Whatever happens in the end, Colossus, the Forbin project, is so much more than the sum of its parts. I found the more films I watch, the more derivative modern films become. Originality is very hard to achieve, but the joy of discovering films like Colossus is that you can see how other films expand or even improve the original idea, or indeed get it totally wrong. There has been talk of a remake of the film directed by Ron Howard, which mercifully appears to be stuck in development hell. Perhaps one reason would be that it would quite simply be impossible to compete with how radical the film is. We take for granted multinational cast now, there is no Cold War mistrust between East and West. Computers are so integral to our lives, they actually run great portions of it anyway. How far ahead of its time the original then films? It wasn't a big hit upon its release in 1970. Hollywood had gone independent, and you could probably see it being shunned by younger audience as being a bit dumb. Science fiction at the time was not a popular genre, despite the likes of 2001 and Planet of the Apes. It would not be until Star Wars a genre had its true renaissance. Whatever the reason for its cinematic anonymity, Colossus the Forbin Project is a joy from beginning to end. It's never going to be identified as one of the all-time greats, and in that respect, I think I even like it more as one of those perennial underdog films that exist just behind more popular counterparts. Watch it, if for no other reason than when someone says how is their favourite screen computer, you can drop the name of the daddy of them all. Colossus, the computer that Skynet cries itself to sleep at night over. And that's going to be it for this episode of the 24 Frames cast. I um, just want to remind you again of the blog, that's 24framescast.blogspot.com and my email which is 24framescast at gmail.com. I'm just letting you know it's going to be about a month, I think, between now and the next show. It's going to be the first part of a trilogy of shows all on the same subject. They're not going to be back to back, I'm going to split them up with some of these close-up episodes. Um, but I will post some hints close to the time as to what it's going to be about. Many thanks for listening and um, I look forward to hearing from you all soon. Many thanks. Bye.